Magister Dixit. Magister Dixit. Magister Dixit. Magister Dixit. Welcome to Magister Dixit, a podcast that invites you on a journey into realms of expertise, imagination, and occultism. Delve deep into the minds of those that have dedicated their lives to mastering their crafts and how having an esoteric or supernatural influence has shaped that path. In each episode, we will engage with magisters, true masters of their respective fields, as they share their unparalleled insights, unconventional knowledge, and their unique perspectives. Venture into the mystical as we converse with filmmakers, musicians, and renowned authors. Listen to their perspectives on their respected disciplines and how being a practitioner of occultism has influenced their craft. Remember, in the realm of knowledge, Magister Dixit, the master has spoken. Blake Carrera, as the vocalist, rhythm guitarist, and primary songwriter for the psychedelic occult doom band, AWAS, breathes life into a musical tapestry that seamlessly blends the heaviness of metal with the esoteric depths of occultism. Influenced by luminaries such as Crowley, Blavatsky, and Carol, Blake has crafted a unique sonic landscape that invites listeners to explore the mysteries of existence. Influenced by luminaries such as Crowley, Blavatsky, and Carol, Blake has crafted a unique sonic landscape that invites listeners to explore the mysteries of existence. From the blistering riffs to the introspective lyrics, each element is a testament to Blake Carrera's dedication to his craft. Join us as we uncover the inspirations, challenges, and triumphs that have shaped Blake's artistic journey and get ready to be transported into an otherworldly realm of AWAS. Let's welcome Blake to the show. Blake, listen, I'd like to welcome you to the Magister Dixit podcast. Oh, it's great to have you here. And uh, you're very welcome. And uh, I'd like to talk first about your early influences. Uh, Share some of your specific uh, experiences that initially drew you towards uh, the occult and its symbolism. What got you started? Oh, that's a that's an interesting question. I mean, I uh, I, I think that it was in terms of my my real beginning of dedication of studying it um, that happened about four years ago, five years ago. Okay. Something like that. Uh, maybe a little bit before that, actually. What about uh, as I, a, I, any interest as a youth, you know, as a teenager? So that, that's, what I, that's, that's what I was getting to is that I, I grew up in the church as a kid um, until I was uh, kicked out of Sunday school. Um, so I think it was always there. Um, sure. You know, as a teenager, when I when I got into to metal, because I, I, I think I... I got into metal first when I was about 12 or 13 and, uh, I just dove right in, you know, I, I got into black metal and I got into doom essentially. So it was, it was a lot of dark throne and electric wizard. Right. On. Uh, and, 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 were, the, and were because, those, uh, 
were those uncomfortable uh, bands to be playing in the household or like? Uh, oh, Dark Throne was definitely not welcome at 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 home. That was a listen on the earbuds type of uh, type <laughs> of activity. Uh, that Slayer, you know. But I, I I started seeing this. I was really attracted to the imagery. Well, some of the imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd seeing, you know, of course, when you're a teenager and you're getting into this stuff, you, you see the inverted crosses and the pentagrams and things like that. And there's this, this romance about it, I guess I'd say. Um, and so I was always attracted to the, the kind of darker things, you know, whether it was through music or horror movies, you know, um, and then I read uh, Satanic Bible in my late teens, I want to say. And um, it's kind of, I've kind of always had the same reaction to it. I think it's, it's, a, it's a good read, but I, it wasn't my path. Uh, it's a gateway for a lot of people, though, you know. I, uh, very much so. You know, and it's uh, such a controversial book uh, to walk into the bookstore and, you know, uh, at least in the days of that, like, you know, when I, when I, when I was in my time, you know, you actually had to walk into the store and go over to the shelf and put it on the counter. And, you know, the, whoever was ringing it up was like, you know, basically like looking at you, like, you know, <laughs> kind of freak yeah. is this here or something, but now you have like Amazon and, you know, you can be, uh, you know, you can order these things under the guise of packaging have them delivered yeah, definitely. these days. <laughs> definitely. I mean, I, I bought my first one at either Barnes & Noble or Half Price Books. So, you know, I I definitely uh, got my looks. I still get looks. I, I'm a big purveyor of, of used bookstores. And, and so uh, it, yeah, know, that, that, that's where I, I get a lot of my collection. On that same note, I remember uh, a lot of the Bible beaters would go and they would tear uh, the cover and uh, the pages off of it, so that they mm-hmm. couldn't, so they wouldn't be able to sell it. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, All those those creative things that population. Has. Yeah, yeah. To com- combat all that evilness. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then, as you got old, a, then yeah. as, I was gonna say, then as like you got older, you know, obviously when we talked before, there's various occult figures that have influenced your music uh crowley uh regardi uh even uh, blavatsky are are there specific teachings or concepts that particularly resonate with you the most i mean i would say that um i'm i'm most attracted to the the idea well most of the ideas a lot of the ideas of crowley um i'm not saying he didn't have his faults he was a human. We all have our faults, uh, different times. But you know, if you treat him as a as a a philosopher and a magician, um, there's a, a lot of really brilliant stuff there. My my kind of entry point was Book of the Law. It was Colin Wilson's The Occult, and uh, it was Israel Regardi's uh, The Tree of Life. And so if you read all three of those books, you get kind of a portal into the development of my thinking and the development of my music. 
I actually just I actually just scored the occult uh, on eBay for uh, like fifteen dollars, a really mint copy. Oh, that's <laughs> so, awesome! So, that, so mine, mine got uh, stolen from me, so I don't have a copy of it anymore. Yeah, so I'm gearing up to read that. That's like on uh, on the uh, short stack of must reads, you know, <laughs> that you got to definitely, definitely. I have the whole series, um, but I've only read the first book. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at them right now. It's uh, Mysteries and Beyond the Occult. Um, but yeah, I mean, Colin Wilson is like a, a really great overview of the background. I like his style of writing. It, it's very clear. Uh, yeah, it's very easy reading, you know, as far as, uh, you know, I don't find myself having to flip back and go, you know, what? what Is that a dictionary? What, <laughs> yeah, like what, like what just happened or what am I? You yeah. Know? Yeah, him and Gary Lockman, I find to be two of the most approachable uh, kind of, I call them occult surveyors, you know, or sociologists of some type. Uh, sure, and Colin Wilson's uh, book on Crowley is also a really good book as well. So Yeah, you know, Colin Wilson was, was, was very brilliant, but it, it gave me kind of an overview of a lot of different ideas. Um, to where I was then able to kind of move into certain directions in terms of what I wanted to focus on. Uh, what I have found to be the most instructive is, you know, as I mentioned, Crowley, uh, Rigardi is an excellent reference point. Um, but I also think that Austin Osmond Spare and uh, especially more for me personally, Peter Carroll, uh, are are very instructive in terms of my mindset. So when you uh, so what I'm hearing from you, the magical traditions that you're kind of into are chaos magic and somewhat uh, a fan of uh, Crowleyana or uh, yeah, Thalema. Thalema. You know. Yeah, I just didn't know how deep you go in the uh, Crowley rabbit hole there. Uh, I I, uh, I go I go a little deeper than uh, a lot of people, I guess. <laughs> I've, read, I've read more than Book of the Law. Right. Uh, uh, so talk me talk to me a little bit how uh, Helena Blavatsky and uh, Theosophy comes into uh, play in all of this. Yeah, so I got into Blavatsky partially via Colin Wilson and partially via Gary Lockman, just reading about her. Um, and I was very fascinated by her life and by the many paths that she supposedly and possibly likely, you know, was, uh, walking down, um, the, con you know, the that, concept of the uh, hidden elect, do you find that yeah, some, the, uh, something, uh, of interest? So I find it of interest on a metaphorical level um i would say that it is to me something that can be instructive um that's that's what that's what i'm always looking for with these different thinkers is i'm looking for an instructive nature uh towards how i can apply their ideas uh do i believe that there were there are like five immortal, I think it's five. I can't remember. The different uh, races. 
Yeah, you know, the, these things, no, I, I don't believe in, in any of that. I, I find that to be problematic and dated. I would say dated that has now become problematic. Yeah, um, I, find, I, I find that the, the, the bigger draw to uh, theosophy is more the, uh, the purpose of human life is uh, spiritual emancipation. You know, yes. how, how you say the human soul undergoes reincarnation upon uh, death and, you know, the process of karma. And I think, you know, th those are the things that Blavatsky kind of introduced to the Western world and kind of I think that's what really uh, kind of. She brought Eastern thought to the Western world in a digestible way. Absolutely. Um, you know, it wasn't like Buddhism was un unheard of or uh, Hinduism, uh, but she kind of made some of those ideas. I, I don't want to say approachable because her writing is very dense, uh, very, very hard to read. Um, but she presented them in a way that could be understood uh, in a more palatable manner, possibly to some people who are less likely to pay attention to people of other skin tones. Yeah, um, and, and, and it's a little alluring to hear about all this ancient and universal occult science and everything yes, very much that so. she brought forth, you know, and, you know, compared to yeah. what everybody was already exposed to. So it was also yeah, at the, in the right time, I think, as well, you know, and very uh, much so in Europe where they were suffering a bit of an identity crisis, you know, at the time. Yes. Yeah. And and, you know, what she's really doing my, how I take Blavatsky is this searching for an ultimate truth. Um, and I think that that is very valuable. Um, I think that Crowley then listens to that and says, okay, we're going to go for the will, your true will, not your, your, your ultimate truth. Um, but Blavatsky specifically to me in terms of her synthesis of different religions, her pursuit of a true religion, um, well, the well, there, there is no religion higher than truth. I mean, yes. that, that's the quote of theosophy, right? You know, yes. So. <laughs> um, you know, I, uh, I, I wouldn't call myself a, a theosophist by any means. Do I, do I think that there are a lot of really positive ideas in theosophy? Very much so. Um, well, I think a lot of it too is, is when somebody starts to find the occult and the esoteric interesting we start to look at its history and what it, you know and of course it's why crowley has such an impact on everybody because it's one of the first accessible authors or magicians now very knowledgeable on the subject that you come into contact with when you start to dig and then you find yes. out about the, uh, you know, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn and and you start to find out, well, what really got those guys going? And you start to in this whole regression. Just and who keeps, was in the Golden Dawn? You and, know, yes, it's stunning when you when you first read about it, you're like, this is fake. This is not a real. Yeah, it's like Bram Stoker, Bram Stoker and like, Gates, you know, yeah, you know, 
Um, and, and the story, and the story with like Yates, like you know, uh, though it's supposed to be fictional, and it was just story that you know he's like trying to kick Crowley down the stairs out of yeah, uh, yeah. out of the temple or whatever, you know. Yes, and there's yes. Crowley in full regalia, you know, there to claim all of these uh, things for with him. his magical dagger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um no i mean it it's i think it's um it shows that there is you know in terms of modern magic i think there's a fine line to walk in terms of because you know you do have to consider that the these uh that modern magic is really working towards synthesis because it you know you get that from Blavatsky, who I think got it from Eliphas Levi, uh, and and so on and so on and so on. You know, it's very there. There is a lineage of ideas I think you can trace, um, but there is also taking elements of other religions. You know, whether it's Hinduism or you know, some people practice with you know Norse gods. Let's say. Um, you know, and so there's a certain element of, of appropriation that we have to kind of be, in my opinion, cogent of. Uh, but, and more than that even is respectful of. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's one of the things that I always look for, especially in modern thinkers. Uh, sure. And I think we all look back to what worked for previous magicians or, or you know, or, uh, you know, what, uh, for what your interest is, uh, draws you to certain people because of the things they were able to achieve, whether it was through their writing or through their painting or through their film or whatever, it resonates with it. There's a common resonator there that that kind of draws you to it. You know, it's like, Yes. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but when I watch a Kenneth Anger movie, I'm just I'm sucked in, you know. Yeah. And, and when I'm watching a documentary on him, I'm just like, yeah, that universality just, is is especially you know, and especially if you're artistically inclined, there is something very very powerful about it, yeah. and there's something very very attractive about yeah. it. Yes, kind of self-identifying or whatever, validation to a point, you know. So how does all of that philosophy and influence, uh, how does it seep into that creative process when you're writing lyrics and kind of crafting the overall atmosphere of your music? Oh, that's a a long answer. Um, Take take your time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... So essentially how it starts is I, I start with my music that, that underlies the, the vocals and the lyrics. Okay. So I'm building a foundation. I, I get the, the, the timing right and set up the, the rhythm section. And then I work on the guitars to really create the melodies and things like that. Um, but in doing so, I, I work at very breakneck speed. Okay. Like I don't, when I'm writing a song, it, can I swear on this? I can't remember. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. It fucking pours out of me, <laughs> man. Um, and, uh, and I feel somewhat possessed by a song. Um, 
so in its own way, the act of creating the song is a magical act. Um, when I'm writing the lyrics, what I'm trying to do is essentially to talk about what's going on in my head through a more universal lens. Um, it's not very interesting if you are going through some kind of spiritual malaise or depression or anything like that. And you just talk very plainly about it. Like I, I'm not as interested in that personally. Uh, I, I, I think it can be done well, but I think it's, it's very hard to do. Uh, that confessional kind of approach. Um, it, but it also just, it doesn't really fit in with the music that I'm writing. And so I don't really want to be a purely confessional artist. Uh, do you have to be in a particular mindset? Like I've spoke to some other musicians, so, some of them uh, maybe do a little meditation or they have their own little uh, it is my dog, dogmas or rituals that maybe they do to kind of get in the right uh, frame of mind to do their craft. Yes. Yes. I, I have to be in the right state of mind. I have to be very present um, so like I really, you, like you just don't come home from work and hang your jacket up and grab a guitar and start writing music or whatever. It's generally like, not. Sometimes I'm lucky. Yeah. Um, sometimes I've got something stuck in my head and I, uh, got to get I it out. Go yeah, and, it, yeah. and it's just, it, I finally release it. Um, but it, it's, uh, I, I generally write at night. Um, I like to write at night, later at night, and early in the morning are my my two favorite. Uh, so I generally like to write by red light. Um, I like to burn some incense. I like to to put myself into a comfortable place, um, a place of serenity. Because for me, the act of writing a song is very. Uh, painful in, in what um, way in what way is it painful talk, talk about that i'm talking about the things that that cause me so much significant uh inner turmoil mm -hmm. um, and what i really pursue is trying to talk about those things but through an occult lens so i i use the occult lens, not only to think about these things in my life, but I also think about them in my music so that I can present not only a more universal approach, because if someone reads my lyrics and they connect with them, or if they read my story, you know, I've talked a million times about my mental health and interviews, but, um, you know, it, it could be of, of help to them. But as opposed to just being a purely confessional, raw type of, you know, release, mm. um, I like to channel it through the ideas of Crowley and through occult um, metaphors and references so as to make it kind of a duality. Well, and kind of like what we talked about before, just the fact that those topics resonate with like-minded individuals Exactly. And so, you know, you try to convey that in your craft too, to maybe find 
those same people who would identify in those topics, maybe they feel the same way as you or identify with what you're writing. Exactly. And I, I, I've met people who, who identify with, with what I've said, and it, it's, it's very powerful. Um, it means a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. As a fellow musician, you know, when people tell you, you know, uh, how much uh, maybe uh, your music uh, meant to them at a certain point, definitely. I think that, you know, that holds a lot of water with me, you know, for sure. Definitely, man. You know, like it's the highest honor for a musician. It's much more important than sales or, or I don't know, playing in front of a huge crowd or something. Exactly. Are there specific symbols that hold particular significance to you? Occult symbolism? Uh, I mean, obviously, the like I know the ba- the band's called Iwas, so obviously there's that Crowley thing there. So, yeah, you, you yeah. Know. I mean, I, I use a sigil on the cover for the second album. Okay, so you, you do you do sigil work? Uh, I've dabbled in it. Yeah. I, I noticed for me, and I've spoke about this previous episode, uh, that was the first time for me that I actually got something back uh, where I was like, holy shit, this works. Like, you know, you know like, so uh, I, I don't, I don't practice it as much as I did before because I'm caught up in other things, but uh it's definitely something that I think uh, when done properly, uh, you know, holds a lot of power and potential. When done with the right respect. Absolutely. I, I, that, that, that goes with everything involved in that whole process. Like, you know, uh, whether it's uh, divination or evocation, you know, I think that Anything. if there's no respect involved, you're, you're not going to go nowhere. You're just some jabron waving your arms around and you know mumbling or you're gonna fuck up your life yeah exactly you know? yeah. <laughs> exactly I, I, don't, I don't really want to do that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely um now, now like uh speaking about the band and stuff you know like uh it, awas evolved as a solo project uh to a multi piece band are you a full are you a full-on band now or? i i essentially uh there's two other guys in the band um eddie plays bass and uh several instruments actually um and pablo plays lead guitar having members in the band now has that brought like a new dimension to your creative process or do you still pretty much write the way that you wrote and do those guys collaborate they, they definitely collaborate. Okay. Um, we, we have, we have tons of material written and demoed, um, already for, for the third album. And at this point we're just waiting to, for the, the well, waiting for the fountain to dry up, um, uh, because we just keep writing songs and liking them more and more, uh, but exploring new directions, uh, no, they're, they're very invaluable to my process because they understand that I created this band. I've written two albums by myself, you know, um, I know what I'm doing, I think as much as anyone does. Um, and because I'm doing it with intention, 
and they respect the intention. So what they say is essentially get it out of your system and then we can strip some things back, add some things in, you know, it's, it's very (laughs) rare when, when they say like, Oh yeah, it's good. You don't need us. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds like, you know, the, the process is a very purging process for you as far as it's 100% as, a purge, you know, so, uh, is it hard sometimes for people to analyze that purge, you know, it's like, you know, to kind of, uh, have to share that now and have like people under, you know, try to make them understand where you're coming from. Well, so uh, there, there's two ways of answering that. So one is that I've been very open for a few years now um, about what I'm trying to do and what this is like. Um, so I'm you kind of get used to it. Um, so, so it's an evolution. It's evolving the process. It went from yes. one one man solo band to uh multi-piece band but now opening yourself up for interaction and collaboration and very much so and, it, co- it also, and, co- and the compromise that comes with that as well too you know because they also understand what i'm trying to say because they're also very close friends of mine um so we have an understanding of each other mm-hmm um, do they share your, uh, any of your, uh, cult, uh, philosophies or, uh, I'd beliefs? say they have like a, like a, a curiosity. Um, but you know, they, they haven't really, uh, wanted too far down the path. As I'd say. Understandable. Um, it's, uh, but they, they, they don't judge me for my beliefs. Um, they believe as I do that it's positive for my life. It's a big part of the band's imagery and it's part of the imagery, you know? Yeah. It's in the bio. It's all that, all that shit. Um, so it's not like it's some kind of secret. Um, like I, I know of many bands out there that are very into the occult and very serious about esoteric pursuits. Um, but they keep it quiet. Uh, you know, supposedly we have religious freedom in America, so I don't really worry about losing my job, but, uh, that's who I am. Well, in the cancer culture these days, you kind of, uh, you never know. (laughs) You never know, but, you know, I try to think about the esoteric critically, um, because I think it's evolving and it's meant to evolve. Do you see occultism uh, growing or expanding? Do you find more people it's becoming more mainstream or what's your opinion so, on that? So I, I'll bounce the, the question back to you. So in a way, most magical pursuit is rather a, a very simplified way of putting it would be it's, it's ego centric. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much about pursuing a greater self. Um, so when you get into it and you really start devoting yourself to study and, and practice and meditation and different things like that, um, it seems very big in your life. 
And so you start pursuing it more and finding more people who are into it just by being honest about yourself. Uh, you know, Christians go to a church. We go to used bookstores and coffee shops. Uh, and with the Internet, it's also helpful, too, for to with the Internet. Yeah. Exchange with people that maybe you wouldn't exactly. have come in contact with and stuff, you know. Exactly. So I think it's always been there. Um, I think it will always be there. I think that it will fluctuate in terms of, you know, you had kind of in the the late forties through the fifties, you know, like the occult is not really very active. And you have the uh, satanic panic days of, uh, and the then you have the satanic seventies and eighties. Yeah. Stuff. And 80s, yeah. I mean, I, I, I grew up with, with, you know, coming from living in Texas um, and then living in the Midwest in high school, uh, you know, the satanic panic has never stopped. Um, it's just not as loud. And I think it's the same thing with the occult in a way. It's never stopped. Sometimes it's just not as loud. Well, well yeah, my humble opinion, I, f- I feel that it, it is uh, becoming more and more mainstream only because you have less suppression of ideas. So, yes. and, and People, whether they want to acknowledge it or not, they're all practicing a little bit of magic. The soccer mom who goes and does yoga, uh, you know, uh, the, yeah. the the lady selling new age shit at the carnival or whatever, you know. Uh, the, the tarot card readings, astrology. Yes, everybody reading the horoscope. Yeah, like I noticed yeah. that when, when even uh, close people we know when... Uh, uh, they know that like you're kind of into it and these like you know and these subjects and stuff they still take a step back and look at you sometimes like you know you're like you're like they just can't wrap their head around it but yet like i said yeah they they all dabble in these other things you know and it's like <laughs> it, 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 it's just funny because I don't know what it is. It's whether it's the fact that you have a serious interest or pursuit in it and you don't uh, take it so lackadaisical. Although I hear some of these people who go to see like, you know, some of these fortune tellers and stuff, they're very dedicated to going to that, you know, and it definitely has a, a role in their life as much as, you know, the soccer mom going to yoga, you know. And if they approach it the correct way, it can be useful, even if it's, a, you know, someone who doesn't believe in their own cards and is just doing it to make a buck. Um, I think there are better ways of making a buck. So I'm a little less skeptical of tarot readers than other people. Um, like, like you look at the way Crowley started to kind of in the resurgence in the 60s and the hippie era. Uh, yeah, kind of, Sergeant you know, Pepper's. Yeah, well, the you know, do what thou will, you know, and it's concept, you know, that very much in line with the age of Aquarius and how people were thinking at that time, you know, and, and yeah. uh, you know, and, and I, I even look at it in the way that like it, even in fictional works like H.P. Lovecraft, just how uh, there there wasn't much accessible about uh, about Lovecraft, and now look at these days. You know, it's incorporated it's into comic books and games and stuff, and so is magic. You know, uh, whether yes. whether people believe in it or take it serious uh, doesn't matter. It's just the perception of uh, the knowledge that it's there. I think that <clears throat> makes it makes it ever expanding. You know. 
Yeah, and I I think that there is a certain something that I, I've kind of had a working hypothesis of is that especially like I feel like I meet more millennials that are into magic than any other generation, I guess. Um, and honestly, my, my working hypothesis is it's because it was a generation that grew up reading Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. Exactly. I had a, I had and a wanting guest. magic in their lives. Uh, a previous guest, uh, Aaron Del Overman said the same thing. You have, uh, you know, uh, you know, a hundred million Hindus that all are into Harry Potter that would have never known what Western magic is or anything like that. Yeah. And they've all just, you know, Harry Potter is huge in India. You know, yeah. And, and there's just this multitude of people now that, you know, know what that is and uh, are interested in it. Yeah. The idea of wands and cloaks all these elements, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that JK Rowling is some kind of secret occult thinker. Um, but I, I just think it's a bunch of millennials who grew up and then started reading better books. Sure. Sure. I, I definitely agree with that. Now, uh, what I'd like to do is I want to play a track from you guys, a track that I really dug. It's called be not a man. And I thought maybe you could, uh, Give us a little lead into it and talk about the, you know, the song. Yeah. So it's, it's the idea there there are several different interpretations of it that I have, but, um, cause honestly, I, I'm interpreting the songs after I write them many a time. Like they come out of me and then I say, what, what did I, what am I trying to tell myself? Um, and so how I look at that song is to be the, the simplest course of action is to, to be better, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I'm very interested in positive self-improvement, you know, I'm not saying go read self-help books. Mm -hmm. I'm saying things like I, uh, yeah, I do a lot of meditation. You know, that, that's a, that's, that's self-improvement. Um, and be not a man is to me, especially of late, it is a song where I'm trying to say to strive to be better, to see what I can become. Be greater than just a man. Yes, exactly. Interesting. I, I, and that's how I kind of took it to a degree. And I almost thought of, you know, right away, I go to the Crowley thing, you know, to be godlike or whatever. God, God, God uh, you know, every man and woman is a star. Exactly. And, and yeah. with that, and with that, let's go ahead and play that track. This is Be Not a Man.
Okay, so uh, that was really cool. And like, uh, I wanted to also talk to you about the connection with your fans. Some of the interviews that I've read about you and stuff, 
Uh, you mentioned about the aspect of connecting with the fans and how important it is with you and how the, when they kind of share their own personal experiences about being inspired by your music. How do you see those occult? Th- do you see all the occult themes that you use? Do, do they resonate with your audience? I'd say about 30% of the time. Um, you know, sounds I'll, like being connected to your fans is like an important aspect of uh, doing the band. Yes, it's very much important. I, I think that if you are going to be a musician, you need to connect with your fans. You know, you can be, you can take all the serious photos, and captions, and different things like that. And you should do that because people want that as well. And it's also, you know, to a certain extent, it's true to what I'm trying to say. Are, are you pretty um, easily accessible at, at one of the gigs? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, uh, you know, when I, my last tour, I, I would just hang out with people after we played. Yeah, I, I don't, I have a certain <laughs> look to me, I guess, I've been told, um, that's uh, rather intense, I guess. Right, uh, right. But I am very much in favor of, of, of human connection, you know. So it, when someone sends me a message, I, I do my best to reply. Right. I, I think that's important, you know, to let people see that, you know, uh, you're as appreciative as uh, they are about, you know, you, you, we appreciate that you like our music and, you know, and they appreciate well, that you create music that they can enjoy. And as someone who is using the occult to, to talk about things in their music, my thinking has really evolved just like my thinking about what each of the songs and the falling mean continues mm-hmm. to evolve, uh, as time goes on. Um, I used to think that because I, you know, I make occult music, um, that I needed to be more mysterious and, you know, brief. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it was useful for an image. And what I've realized is that that's counterproductive to my goals, especially when thinking about the occult, because I don't want it to seem scary. It's not, it's supposed to be something that you should take seriously, but it shouldn't scare people. Yeah. And that definitely hits a little bit about kind of what I was just going to really ask you, you know? basically it's about balancing that like darkness and light occult themes often explore both darker and lighter aspects of spirituality and you know you're kind of pretty much going into what i was asking about you know how do you balance those elements in your music and do you see it as a reflection of a broader spiritual philosophy and from what you're telling me that's actually pretty much like the case that is 100% the case (laughs) (laughs) it's cool that's cool like I said I read a lot of uh, I read a couple of your interviews before so I try I wanted to try to get the feel as to what you were about and what your music kind of means to you and stuff and you know I think in the metal genre there is a fine line between entertainment and genuine occult engagement Mm -hmm. and uh, you know 
ensuring the authenticity of the occult imagery and and the references uh sounds like that's a pretty important aspect uh when you're writing the stuff you know you're not just uh copying shit out of a book like you know it, it's coming straight from the heart that's with all this inspiration of I, uh, occult influence i'm only able to write directly from the heart um i i wrote a concept album which was the following but it's a concept album about the occult and my journey you know and my my mental health essentially and how the occult has helped it um by by opening my mind to different ways of thinking that's what the falling is um i would love to write just some kind of i'd love to write just like a biographical album about crowley's life or something like that that would be that'd be really fun to do um but that's not what i do that's not what i do it's a music is personal purgatory you know it's 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 a purge but it's also a purgatory form and i hadn't asked you yet but what bands influence you what what what, what really gets you going so my um my favorite bands are Bismore, um, Hell, Thou, Letha, um, Yob, Neurosis. Um, the common through line in all those bands is they're very personal, they're very contemplative, and they're trying to say something. And that inspired me to make the music that I make. I thought that was the most important thing that you could do in music was to, to speak truth in a way that was universal. Like speak a personal truth in a way that's universal. Uh, Are there any outside of the genre uh, music that you listen to that, uh, (laughs) that that, uh, has an impact in your life? Yeah. Um, I would say I'm, I'm really big on, even though I make very heavy music mm-hmm. and it's continuing to evolve into more and more elements of black metal. Um, yeah, the Beatles are always a huge influence on me. I, I grew up with that shit and those melodies are in my head. So that's really big. Um, I listen to an obscene amount of Indian classical music and Interesting. and Western classical music, uh, Beethoven and Ravi Shankar. Like, <laughs> uh, there's a there's an amazing sitar player named Pandit Kushal Das uh, that I I've been very very inspired by what he does. Uh, so I've been kind of studying his music and it's you know i i wanted to open my horizons a little bit for the third album that we're working on so understandable and definitely uh those uh influences are certainly uh inspiring and provoking uh any guilty any guilty pleasures you'd care to share with us (laughs) i have many guilty pleasures but uh most i won't share um, <laughs> but I, I do love Enya. 
I, I, I really love Enya. I, I'm, I'm not like even ashamed to say it, honestly. Most people think that I'm saying it like it's a guilty pleasure. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, I actually think that Enya is brilliant. Uh, I have many guilty pleasures. I love 70s music, 70s hard rock, you know. Oh, yeah, same. And, and you know, and, and that just spills into new wave so you got like blondie and the talking heads and you know just all all of that early uh kind of new wave stuff i just that's a guilty pleasure for me for sure you know yeah a lot of people don't know gary lockman was one of the founding members of blondie how about that yeah exactly yeah he's in the rock and roll hall of fame (laughs) that's awesome yeah yeah so there's there's your tie for you yeah it's funny that's i did not know that um share with me uh what do you got coming down what what upcoming projects or musical endeavors uh are coming down the pike is there a new iwas album have you ever thought about there is okay how far are you guys involved into it uh we're pretty deep in the final stages of writing Okay. Um, so there, there are pro- we're we're <laughs> this is going to sound insane. Uh, we've we've got about thirty songs that we're narrowing down, but we keep adding more. Uh, it doesn't so. sound insane to me. Um, my band Morpheus descends. We have two albums worth of material that we haven't even started to record yet. Yeah, yeah. It's, we just, it's wrote just how it goes. Wrote. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, so really been, been focusing on, um, but, you know, continued publicity for the falling, you know, the vinyl is about to finally arrive. So that's a, that's a big deal, but also, you know, I, I've been kind of possessed by the writing demon lately. So, um, and luckily Pablo and Eddie are, uh, on board. (laughs) Is AWAS, uh, your only uh, vehicle for expressing yourself musically? Do you uh, jam with anybody else, or is there any plans to do anything? Uh, oh, I'm I'm always open to collaborations and and working with new people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very selective about who is in IWAS mm-hmm. um, for many reasons. Um, I mean, it's very personal for one, but there's that, just a lot of reasons to oh. go into it. So, so it works out, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, who, wants to have but, to see, who wants to have to show somebody all the songs again, you know? I know, exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, every once in a while, I, I'll, I'll hop on bands. I was in a band uh, when I lived in Phoenix called Lost Dutchman. Um, I played kind of rhythm slash lead guitar is, is my, one of my best friend's bands. Uh, he's like my big brother. Um, oh. And uh, he was just like, I need a second guitar. And I was like, I got you, man. And so I did it for a while. And so I'm, I'm not opposed to working with other people. It, it's not, I'm not a complete egomaniac. Uh, <laughs> not complete, right? <laughs> not complete. Not complete. <laughs> That's awesome. Blake, uh, where can everybody go that's uh, interested in hearing more about the band and uh, picking up yeah. merchandise and stuff? Where, where can we please, go? Please check out our band camp. It is at iwaspband.bandcamp.com. And then on uh, Instagram, you can actually talk to us directly. You know, um, we generally answer messages and such. Um, so it's at iwasband. 
Awesome. Blake, thank you so much for coming on the show. I like to, uh, with the podcast, I like to keep it well-rounded and I have a lot of authors on and I just had a, my first filmmaker on that, uh, uh, I'm excited about, and I like to bring musicians on too, because I, I think, uh, you know, it, all the arts and I had an artist on as well. So I like to bring all the well-rounded different, you know, fine arts together that, you know, and show that how, uh, kind of occultism is interlaced in all of those, uh, different aspects of, uh, arts, you know? And, yeah, exactly. I love that. And, uh, you'll have to let us know when the new record's out, shoot me, uh, shoot me a text or an email or something. And it was great having you on Magister Dixit. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.